0: Welcome to the For The Dubs podcast. We are just through week two, although it feels it's a bit of an abridged start to the season because we kicked off early, had a two-week school holiday period, and now we're back into it again. So we thought we'd bring in uh, Technical Director Lawrence. Lawrence, welcome. Uh, We're going to go around the grounds a little bit. Uh, We had a full slate of fixtures, and um, I know you traversed Western Australia a little bit, at an away game in the morning, and then spending the rest of the day at the Mac. What what was the general consensus? How did our teams go? How did they look?
1: Yeah, they look pretty good. Um, I think, you know, we had that one week before the school holidays, and unfortunately, with a lot of teams, and not just us around a um, uh, UWA, but a lot of teams around Perth, unfortunately, couldn't necessarily field those sides because, you know, football has brought it a little bit. More forward. So um, there was only a few teams playing, but now we're here after school holidays and it's looking really, really good. And I'm glad that the kids are able to get in and play. And there's been some fantastic results recently. So, um, yeah. And especially Sunday, there's some really, really good performances from a lot of the age groups that we saw at the MAC. So Mm. it's been great. So, a couple of questions that I've
0: got for you. So, we've seen a couple of teams just absolutely smash their opponent and we're talking you know in excess of 10 goals which is Mm -hmm. it's nice to watch when you're on the delivery side of things not so good when you're receiving that when do you or is there an ability to move teams up move teams around how does that typically work from a fixturing or a a league structuring point of view
1: yeah with um so myself and and sam and others at the club and like Club Admin, we'll kind of have a little look at that and and usually the rule of the thumb with Football West is within the first three weeks. So it's not necessarily on their website, but um, they kind of give the clubs and teams a little bit of time just to readjust and, you know, they can do their best job and we can do our best job and putting teams into certain leagues. But, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes it might slightly be wrong or, you know, it might be right or um, it's just making sure that each of the kids are having a good season. So if they are, like you said, um, doing a fantastic job and, you know, smashing teams or well, fantastic or could we move them up into the next league? And so we usually kind of look at it within the three weeks at the beginning of the season and go, okay, cool. you yeah, Let's maybe move them or they're in the right spot or, you know, where can we move them up to? So, um, yeah. So one interesting thing,
0: I think I know your answer to this mm. and I think, well, my answer as a parent is, is favourable to this, but when you look at some of the division structure, they've seemed to have done all the Suvi teams in one division with all the UWA teams, like all the local clubs, which obviously cuts down travel. But we also saw in my child's age group, there's the academy team is in the same division as the development team, which mm. it's not going to go well. Um, is there a possibility where they might say, "Well, hang on, we'll take this UWA academy team and put them in with the team in Ellenbrook or wherever," and. You know, and spread it around like that. Obviously, I, I, I guess the point you're—I know—you're not going to have a problem. Is we need to travel to play games if it's the best competition. And me as a parent, I'd rather travel to play the best yeah. competition. But is that something that's a, is an option from a Football West perspective?
1: Um, well, you don't even know so, the answer. To that. Well, kind of. So the specific example you just gave with the under twelve girls, um, with the girls' leagues, they don't structure it as in. Um, strength almost, so with the boys leagues they have different colours, so they'll have purple, blue, white. I mean they'll go all the way down to white, so white is usually the bottom league and blue is usually the top league um, and so that'll be from under eights all the way up to juniors uh, and then when it gets juniors, div one, div two, whereas the girls leagues are slightly different, they are usually named after, I know, wild animals like mm. kangaroos or whatever um, and they're usually location based so um, For example, this year you just mentioned three Subi teams, a couple of UWA teams, maybe a Florent team in there. Um, And there is opportunities to potentially move, but then you look at it and go, well, what is the strength of other divisions Mm. if the divisions are only location-based? So we've been trying to push the last couple of years, especially with the under-12 league, um, more of a metro league, um which will be a strong league and you know, I think it's for the best because this is their final year before they move into junior and and competitive age groups. So this should kinda give that a little bit of an idea to Football West and going oh look. This team that's, say, come through UWA, they're doing really well. They've won the Metro League. Okay, there'll be a Division One team when they goes under 14. So um, that structure could be there a little bit more. I'm not quite sure why they haven't done that as of yet. But, you know, they probably have their reasons. Um, yes. So when you go into junior football, which is 14s for the for girls, the girls when, yeah. what is it for 13 boys? for the boys. So is that then division structured? Yeah, so right. that's technically... As soon as you go 11 aside, it becomes competitive basically. So, and then, yeah. so that if you're rolling through your league
0: early doors, they'll potentially move you up or vice versa down if you're not doing so well, or you tend to be stuck in that division?
1: Um, I guess when you get into junior leagues, then it's not as well, I wouldn't call it not as easy, but um, there's still opportunities to probably do so. Um, and I think even if you're, say, I don't know, whatever team you might be, you might be in Div 1 and getting absolutely hammered every week, then, you know, those three weeks you can request to Football West and say, hey, look, we need to move the team down or we feel like it's going to be best. And the problem then with um, the divisions for junior age groups is that you now have to look at the numbers in each division. So that, from a fixture point of view, and obviously... There's a lot more kids that play in the team and, you know, bigger fields and, you know, not as many grounds of as many pitches. So that becomes a little bit more tighter there. So that's why they try and get it in early. Um, and is that club nominated divisions as well? What do you mean by that?
0: As in we look at our talent for an under-14 team and mm-hmm. say we think that's a Division 1 team or how does it end up in the... Yeah,
1: I think um, usually Football West will go by what you've done last year and where you've been placed. So I mentioned before about the boys' leagues um, with the different colours. So, for example, if you are... You've got a team in the 12s blue, which is the highest blue league, uh, boys league, sorry, for 12s, um, and you win that comp, then, okay, well, you're definitely going to be a Div 1 team because you are playing at the technically the highest level for 12s. Um, But, you know, if you're in the white division, say, for example, for the 12s, then, okay, you're probably going to go Div 4 or whatever the bottom league is for there. And look, sometimes you might get new players in and stuff, and it's just up to the experienced people, each club, to you know, look at it and go, well, you know, they're probably this colour division or they're in playing in Div 2 because we feel like they've got a lot more players that are better. Mm. So, yeah. So
0: well, What I want to sort of cover off with you is from a coaching perspective at this stage in the season, so pre-season started effectively February, mm. um, season's now, let's say, two weeks old. What does a coach, and obviously this varies across ages, so it might be interesting to sort of chunk it into – age groups but typically what a coach is focusing on at this time of the season
1: well yeah like you said it's week two of the season so they've had a bit of pre-season so we know there's been four to six weeks of training before the season starts so a lot of structural stuff will come into place before that happens um the it's actually quite interesting these after, I'd say, usually two, three weeks of the season, you get a real idea of what players are like in games because you can play training matches and you can play against other teams in your club or maybe even friendly matches, but when you get into the competitive uh, sorry, competitive matches against other squads from different clubs, you'll really see um, how a player deals with that. So whether it be from a technical point of view, tactical point of view, you know, composure. Um, and then you can... No, I, I tend to make notes on players as, as the game goes on and um, and kind of build up a bit of a, an idea of where they're at. And so that kind of makes it a bit easier for us to then specify training a little bit more. So if I can see that oh, there are five players in my team out of the 12 that their first touch isn't quite there at the moment. So, okay, cool. Well, we're going to put put some drills on, work on first touch a little bit more. So, um, you know, what we do at UWA as well, with, especially with the academy team, is we work... Um, in the first week we do our player testing so that gives us an opportunity to look at each and every player and how they are in each skill basically so there's, there's uh, I think it was 10 different areas that we look at um, and we grade them and then that gives us a basis to go okay cool they're working from here we can now make those train sessions a lot more specified as well. Okay, well this is interesting. Let's get into the nitty gritty of this player sure. testing sort of thing. So
0: that's already happened for most of the players in the academy.
1: Yeah. So we want the coaches to do it in like week one or two. Obviously, it depends on okay, availability. So. And, and what
0: stuff. things do you grade
1: on? So I mentioned there's ten things there. Yep. So I'm trying Let's to remember go. them all. Yeah, top the top yep. Yeah. So you know anything from you know you've got uh, ball control, one v ones, attacking, defending, shooting. Uh, but then you've got non technique-based stuff like attitude, behavior, um, things like this as well. So, And obviously there's a little bit of physical stuff in there like strength and Mm. endurance and speed. So um, it kind of gives a bit of an overall picture about where they're at now. Um, While us as coaches, we're not uh, set up to... um, improve a player's speed and we're not going to be doing sprint training with them every single session but it just gives a little bit of an idea of going oh you know they're a relatively quick player how can they use that when they're dribbling you know or how can they uh, pick up a little bit more speed and give them a couple more actions that they can do so um yeah there's there's 10 points that we mark them on on a scale of of a scale of one to five Yep, um and they'll go increments of 0.5 as well so um yeah
0: so interest like well this is now you've Captured my attention here. Um, is there a is there an age group where they can have dramatic swings in their rating, or is it normally sort of a slow incremental? Like, have you ever had a kid who's gone from a one to a five? I'm sure you. Sorry, um, I'm sure you have. But is there an age group where the development tends to kind of ramp quite quickly, or is that?
1: I I wouldn't say so. I think players learn at different levels mm. so and different speeds as well so you know i've i've coached many many a team in my time and different age groups and you know let's just say for example an under 18 that i coach and some kids will be lagging behind quite a bit and some will just fly for the whole year and then the next year those kids that were lagging all of a sudden they're absolutely mm. gunning it and the kid that was doing really well is now just at a canter um, and just slowly kind of going through so in terms of age group Uh, maybe when they get into you know end of primary school so like year 6 maybe going into year 7 they start to you know at school they've been given a bit more responsibility they get a little bit more mature now and they start to identify how they can improve at certain things so yeah maybe like 10s to 12s um, you do find an opportunity a little bit more anyway for them to push themselves a bit and uh, uh, taking out the sort of intangible things
0: like attitude and behavior of those 10 skill sets what what are typically the hardest ones for a young player to develop or once again is it
1: different for every individual so some kids just naturally have ball skills and others don't yeah yeah right yeah most yeah most kids are different they'll they'll have their own Mm. um, strengths and weaknesses and you just try and keep improving both strengths and weaknesses so yeah it's there's not one that's usually difficult and one that's easy you know i see some kids are magic on the ball running around and it's like the glue to their foot but you ask them to take a shot and it'll go into rose Z. so um it will yeah it will change change um one of the
0: things that like i don't have any clue about football Mm. but one there's always this moment where a kid will pass the ball to an open player and you you can kind of see they're like oh that worked Mm. when does and, you know, you talk structure and, and I was we were chatting off air, like I've got a younger kid who plays and they're little and the the notion of structure and space and sort of finding the open team at is the last thing that sort of comes. When does that really start to lock in where you can actually put the kids into zones and they understand the pass and, and those types? Is there an age
1: group where that sort of comes into play? Um, I think – I think – well, I think any kid – if you give them time and training, they can learn anything. So I don't think this is necessarily a a specific time that you should be doing it. I agree that, you know, the younger age groups, they should be there just having fun and enjoying themselves. That's why, you know, we don't have an under-8s academy or, you know, an under-8s boys academy. We start at nines for the boys and tens for the girls because you do need a little bit of... I know they're not mature at that age, but you know, they need a little bit of know how in them being able to go, okay, cool, we're in an academy team and I've got to listen to these rules and these understandings. So I think, yeah, around that age group is when you can really start to do it. But I think it just depends on the player as well. You know, we do these trials and stuff to for players to get into the academy and we don't just look from a technical point of view, but we look at the kid and go, well, you know, do they want to learn at a you know, improving by listening to the coach and they taking on board the instructions and so it's not just from a a technical point of view, it's giving the players an opportunity to go, you know, I'm 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 good enough, but at the same time I'm I'm willing to improve Mm. and, and that as well. So yeah, it's it's a bit of a tough one. And
0: typically when would you discuss these ratings with the kid or the parent or probably the parent and with the junior players? When does that conversation take place?
1: That yeah, so with the kids not so much sorry with the players not so much because it's it's used as a coaching tool so you know I'm not going to go up to play and be like oh by the way you scored a one <laughs> on your dribbling loser but yeah <laughs> absolutely distraught for a couple of weeks so um, you know it's it's more from a coaching tool so it's just looking at it and going, right, I've got this set of data which is gold because I've basically on this set of data been told, right, this player needs to work on that, that player works on this and this player doesn't need to necessarily work on that that much Um, and and that makes it a lot easier to plan sessions. I find I'm a bit of a data person and um, and a planner so it, it makes it a lot easier for me to plan my sessions. Plus, you mentioned about in terms of parents, this can give them a bit of an update and we do half season updates Mm. with the parents and go and by that time we'll have our second testing done um, to see where they're at so kind of give us a little bit of an idea of where they've come from and where they're at now so then it's like oh hey just so you know little little timmy is doing a fantastic job in his shooting ability and his accuracy you know he still needs to work on his driven a little bit he hasn't quite got to there and we're working on this at training and the reason why we do that is not only to give the parents that update because of course they are having a kid there and they want to know that the kid's doing well, but you know, they might now remember that and then in the back garden, Oh yeah, come let's, uh, let's go and do a little bit of a mm. dribbling out on the, uh, Oh, why is that? Oh no, we are just going to do that. You know? So it's, it's a sneaky extra little bit of coaching from our side mm. of you, but yeah, you know. Okay. As the
0: data head, if you ever aggregated all of this data mm. and determine what is the biggest skill deficiency across the club,
1: oh well we don't have that data quite yet so um i'd like to have a look at that after the second um player testing obviously the first one you know it's something a lot of these players this is something new that they're Mm -hmm. doing so you can't necessarily you know you can base an individual skill of how they're doing it might be nervous it might be you know new team is starting early on in the season so yeah once once that second one comes out we'll get a better idea of where we're at but I hope there's not a um, an actual skill that the whole club is going <laughs> crazy on because then we'll just do one giant session for all age groups on the shooting or whatever it is.
0: So we got a little bit of nerd alert here. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the US sports have really the basketball was the three point, you know, the the benefit of the three pointer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in baseball, which is my sport, it's just pure velocity. The harder you throw the ball, yeah. the harder it is mm-hmm. for someone to hit it. So let's really ramp that up. Yeah. What is the what is the data, sports science data, where is that led soccer? And what is the thing that was an inefficiency? I'm just putting you on the spot mm, here, but I'm no, actually fascinated. Fine. You know, is there data science, or is there inefficiencies in football, soccer that I'm completely unaware of because I don't follow the game as much as you do, that mm. we might be able to get find a competitive advantage or focus on from a skills perspective is that that sports science really come into play in the football arena
1: yeah I think well I guess if you're talking about sports science there's something slightly different you mentioned about basketball you know three points, yeah that's, more, that's a statistical and, thing yeah. that's not sports science so yeah so I guess if you're talking about statistical mm-hmm. stuff you know you always hear teams about keeping possession, right? So back in the eighties through to even the noughties, you know, a lot of teams, long ball, big burly men running up the field. How quick and big can you be nowadays? Everyone wants to pass the ball, you know, play it out from the back and which obviously from the goalkeeper to the defenders and then work your way out through the field. So a lot of teams, and you'll find that in our academy teams that we, we ask, well, we teach the kids to play out from the back and keep possession of the ball. And, and in essence, if you don't have the ball, you can't score, right? Mm-hmm. So by keeping possession of the ball and trying to work an area to score, that's you're gonna be your best bet. From a sports science point of view, um, I think, you know, a lot well now we start to speak more about junior and senior sides because um you're looking more of well, if you see the Premier League teams there, these are finely tuned athletes mm-hmm. now, not back in the days of Gazza. Cigarette at halftime. Yeah, exactly. Gattuso, um popping out cigs at halftime. So, um, you know, these are finely tuned athletes now. So, you know, everything from nutrition mm. to, you know, uh, stretching and all of this stuff. So how does that kind of work in with our club, a community club and, you know, even with the state league teams and the junior sides? Well, you know, we look at that and we say to our coaches, hey, look, these are some of the things you should be um interested in for your teams because at the end of the day it's only going to benefit you as a, as a team so you know we talk about stuff like we offer nutrition um, seminars to the mm. academy teams juniors and seniors as well plus our senior men's and women's teams um, psychology stuff um, and health and well-being stuff so i think from a sports science point of view those three things are really key because that will in a sense, is fueling your body, right? So you can be the best player you can be, and then every all the stuff that you do on the field, that's only going to be heightened mm. if you can take care of yourself off the field as well. I just want to go back to, um, you know, those
0: sort of briefing sessions for parents and the role of a parent mm-hmm. developing junior athletes. What is the role of the parent? And as a coach, what do you want parents to do, and what do you want parents not to do? Mm.
1: Yeah, this is quite a mm-hmm. an interesting topic. I just throw theory. a grenade at you. Yeah, exactly. It's all right. Um, but you know, I've over my time, I've I've dealt with many parents and quiet to very vocal. You know, so um, I think, as you well mentioned, parents want to be involved with their kids, right? They want to encourage them. They want them to do well. Um, and whether or not they know about football. They might happen to say a couple of things to, you know, encourage that kid to do something, whether it be, oh, shoot, or go and get the ball, or whatever that might be. But unfortunately, that sometimes can be quite detrimental to what the kid is actually being asked to do by the coach or their teammates, even. Um, Now, the teams that I usually coach, I make sure or I have the parents basically in the nicest way possible and not say anything. Um, apart from encouraging, cheering, clapping, um, saying well done, stuff like this. But any type of, you know, inner, I guess you can call it support from a parent's um, point of view in terms of telling them what to do. Um, I don't really like that because I've explained to the kids, and we've worked on this in training as well. Um, how we communicate with each other as players, so how they communicate between each other and what they have to listen to from myself as a coach as well. So if you now have a third party coming in and giving completely different instructions um, to what the coach has been working on with you at training, what you've been doing for the whole season and, and what the players usually communicate between themselves, then kids will start to get a bit confused. And of course, kids will listen to their parents, right? Mm. So that's the, uh, that's the tough thing as well. So, you know, and I love the the enthusiasm of some parents, you know, it's fantastic. I know a lot of parents watch football on TV and um, might even have a bit of experience themselves in, um, you know, playing and maybe even a little bit of coaching. A few percentage of parents might have that. But I think when you, when you get into coaching, you realize that if you've got, Two people saying two different things, and all of a sudden, kids start getting confused, and and that's just a um, a one way trick. It so, so as a coach, if you've got a parent
0: sort of offering more than encouragement, I offering. Mm. It's, instruction will you go and speak to them during the game or is it case oh, by I've case? done that many times yeah right yeah.
1: and it's not from a bad place. some some don't take it well of course because it feel they probably feel like being told off here yeah, yeah which you know we're not trying to do that we're just trying to make sure that the kids are you know concentrating and having the best time that they can so as i mentioned before listening to two people is not going to work and mm. and sometimes a lot of times actually the kids will listen to their parents instead of the coaches and then they wonder why things aren't going well. Well, mm. it's because the coach who is more than likely qualified is trying to tell your child one thing and you're trying to tell them something different. So I just usually go with, you've put them into a sport, you know that there's a coach there, leave them be, let them get on with it. And then if you want to have a chat with them at home, have a chat with them at home, mm. That's fine. So. You m-
0: made an interesting point that I just wanted to touch on. You, you said something along the lines of, I want the players to know what they're, li- what they're listening for from me. Mm-hmm. So you, do you instruct your teams? Is there is there particular
1: things you are guiding them on during the game that you ask them to listen for? Mm. It's more of keywords. Yep. So I will, and it's not necessarily something at training that I'll say, oh, hey, um, by the way, these are the keywords that I'll be using. It's something as a coach, and obviously I've, Built up the experience of doing this in many years, but um, cons- I feel like using same keywords at training consistently will get into their head. And if I can try and pair that with an action um, at trainings, and then all of a sudden we get into a game and they just hear that keyword, it's just their body function to go, Oh, I need to do this now, or I need to do that now. Mm. So, you know, anything could be, you know, for example, you might have heard a few times in your girls' team where um, you might have heard switch. And obviously, we all know what that means, right? Is one uh, getting the ball from one side of the field to the other. But that one simple word is not only for the player with the ball to understand where it needs to go, but all of a sudden, every other player on the team goes, okay, I need mm. to move into a certain position to then move to now try and let that happen. But if you have a parent on the side where the player should be maybe taking on on one v one and trying to score, and all of a sudden they hear switch. Well, guess what you've now just moved 10 players into hmm. different positions where they should be trying to do something else so that that becomes the problem so those keywords um from myself or from any other coach is just a little bit of an instruction because look, we're not playing playstation right well. we're not sitting there trying to control the players but if you can just give out those keywords the girls or the boys will start to understand what they need to do it's also i think as well like as a as a
0: coach you sort of you the girls can get oh, sorry – the players can get caught up in the game at the moment, mm-hmm. and it's always interesting. You, you alluded to the last time we did a podcast. You know, you are playing for sheep stations at this age; these age groups. So you're sort of a little bit removed and can sort of see how the structure may be breaking down. It's that kind of puppet mastery of "come mm-hmm. on, just pull back into these positions." That that's the guidance they probably need, rather than. You screaming at them, shoot, and stuff like yeah. that, which I'm actually pretty good at because I just <laughs> shoot anytime someone touches the ball. But um, yeah. yeah, I think that's the really interesting piece is there's, you know, when you've, I, th- I think you and I have covered this before, but it's, and it was down to your ability not to shout during a mm. game. But most kids don't recall anything that comes from the sidelines. They're so caught up in the game. And yeah, exactly.
1: um, so, yeah, if it's sort of limited to keywords, it's going to be a hell of a lot mm. easier for them to pick it up than a long winded instruction. And, and sometimes, like, I'll, you obviously mentioned about long-winded instructions, and sometimes I will talk to players, personally, I will talk to players, and at a, oh, a mini-roo age group, which is obviously 12 under, um, sometimes I'll pull that kid to the side, and the game is still going on. I don't care what's going on. It's just okay, like hey, when do you try and do this next time that happens, see if you can try and sort something or give them a question right there and then um so there is opportunity for that as well because at the end of the day, it's not competition, really, it's just playing the game. but those if you wanna kind of keep the game flowing and keep it moving and let them learn by themselves, those keywords are going to be mm. really important because. They just need a little bit of a, a kick, like, oh, hey, we've we got to do this, and then off you go, try and practice. So yeah. what's your best parent horror story? No, don't need to name names. Ooh.
0: What are you um, thinking? This is the best oh, one. Oh, I've-, I've
1: seen plenty – well, here, America, England, I've seen plenty of parents run onto the pitch and just drag their kid off because the kid is not listening to them and listening to me um, in the middle of a game. It's been quite embarrassing for them and for others as well.
0: Um there was that horror story from a tournament where a guy ran onto the pitch, threw a punch at a twelve year old kid. Oh yeah. Missed the kid mm. and hit his own kid. Oh, wow. Yeah, that okay. was that's where I alcohol, a one, yeah. alcohol <laughs> got banned from the yeah. from the yeah. tournament. I've
1: seen look, there's unfortunately some people get too wrapped up in it and feel like it's the World Cup final when it really, really isn't. But you know, there are different types of people on this planet and you just have to <laughs> manage them, right? And they wonder why kids stop playing sport. Mm, exactly. Well, I guess if you can see your dad sprinting onto the field to try and deck a 12-year-old, you probably don't want to be involved in that sport anymore and see that again, right? So, Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, we're pretty close to our time limit. Um, we've got a parent information night coming up with one of our um, major sponsors, mm, Womb. That's right, um, yeah have you got any sort of insight as to what that looks like? I know they're obviously a female health specialist. So um, what's the benefit of parents coming along to that?
1: Oh, I think it's a great idea because, um, especially with womb anyway, with the the women's side of things, I think having the parents come in and get basically an opportunity to talk with Tamara, who is amazing, um, about many different health um questions that they might have and um and different topics that she can cover which can relate to a lot of their um their daughters that are playing within the um within the teams and i feel like having that support structure in place um for stuff that is necessarily off the field which can impact on the field stuff um is great um i think that we, I don't think we've had something like that before, to be no, honest. No, and I so think one of the yeah.
0: in her practice, she's got a psychologist, a physiotherapist, and I think we're going to do a session with a nutritionalist. Yeah, they've got that as well. But he's going to come in and actually show parents and kids how to
1: prepare meals and, yeah, and do it exactly. on the spot, which would be pretty cool. So, Which we spoke about the sports science stuff earlier, right? Mm. So all of a sudden now we're starting to offer that out, and we can do as much as we can on the field, but these partners that we have like Womb and mm. others as well, if they can come in and, and start to support that other side, which we call off the field stuff, like you just mentioned, the sports science stuff, then it's just going to benefit everyone. Right?
0: Well, I appreciate your time and thanks for stopping by again and um, we'll make this a regular thing. Um, ideally, uh, we'll have some coaches from other teams come in and talk about their structures their teams and their results Mm -hmm. so um really trying to knit the whole thing together and hopefully we'll see the um the fruit of our uh, of our hard work so uh, thanks very much Lawrence. really appreciate your time